Good morning, everybody. Okay, if you can take a seat. I know we have such a great crowd here. It is so hard to um, stop talking. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Arielle, and I'm a member here at the Haven Church. So glad you're here. And if you can join me, we're going to be reading from the Word today. It's a longer passage, but well worthwhile. So it's John 4, 1 through 30. It's Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give to him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you said is true. The woman said to him, "Uh, sir, I believe you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, Believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to all the people, Come, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. This is the word of the Lord.
All right, well, good morning, Haven family. As you have discovered, we are in John 4, 1 through 30. We're continuing our series, Love Walked Among Us, Rediscovering the Heart of Jesus. And if you weren't here last week, I would highly encourage you to go to our website, www.havenchurchdc.org. There is the website, there's a QR code uh, to listen to last week's message. Online, you can find last week's message. And the reason why is because, one, you might be asking um, why I keep accidentally saying the transit church uh, instead of the Haven church. You might be wondering, what happened? Is this a new church? Is it the transit church? It is the transit church. We've renamed the transit church with the new year, the Haven church. And in last week's message, guess where I told you why we did that? In last week's message. So go listen to last week's message if you didn't get a chance to listen to that. Uh, and that was part of the message. And then also what we did last week was we introduced uh, our sermon series theme to start out the new year, which is looking at the life of Jesus. What we're going to be looking at uh, for the next couple months is these one-on-one encounters, primarily one-on-one encounters that Jesus had with people in the Gospels. What was it like to be on the other side of Jesus Christ? And uh, this week as I was trying to uh, craft out the, the sermon series and figuring out where, uh, where to start, I audited all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, with this lens of one-on-one encounters that Jesus had with people. And then I had different categories. I had conversations and callings and then resurrection, healing, deliverance, and then just kind of your, your, your miracles of uh, water to wine and bread and walking on water. And what blew me away was often we think of, when we think of Jesus, we, we think of his power to heal, his power to deliver, his power to raise from uh, uh, the dead. And, and, and that, for some of us, is, is unbelievable, right? Um, but what was staggering to me was to look at my category of the Son of God uh, spending his precious limited time with this avalanche of one-on-one conversations with people, just face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball, valuing them, loving them, ministering to their heart. And then I had this thought, what's more staggering to believe, that the Son of God has power to heal or that he actually has the desire to talk and listen with us? The king of the universe who spoke the galaxies into existence. What's more staggering is that he sits and feasts with tax collectors and sinners, that he wants to abide and get to know and invite us to get to know uh, him in this relationship of eternal love. And so our hope with with the series is as we uh, look at Jesus, as we look at his heart, that our hearts would begin to uh, well up with the wonder and the delight and the affection uh, that maybe we used to have with Christ, and he would restore that to us. Again, what we looked at last week is you can never lose your position in Christ. Uh, Once you're adopted into the family of God, you're not going to get unadopted. But what we can lose in this relationship is our passion for Christ. And so that's our hope with this series, is as we look to the heart of Jesus, our hearts would would well up again with the proper affection and delight for our King. And so to to start out uh, the talk before I dive in, I want to ask you all a question that I already know the answer to, but I don't have a better transition than this. So this is what I'm going to say. Raise your hand if you have ever had a preconceived notion about somebody that proved to be entirely false. All of you should raise your hands, all right? (laughs) Don't lie. We're in church. You can't lie, all right? Uh, uh, The way I understand preconceived notion is this, is you know someone from a distance and you make a character judgment about what this person is like without adequate information to make that call. You've heard some rumors. 
You've seen some stuff, and then you go and you make an assessment of what this person is like or how this person would treat you or what it would be like to know this person. And so when Jen and I met, we met in 2010 at a Young Life uh, retreat center called Rockbridge uh, Retreat Center in Goshen, Virginia in 2010. She was in Blacksburg, Virginia at the time, four hours south of here. I was in Northern Virginia. There's no way our paths would have ever crossed. And before this weekend, we didn't know each other existed. And then uh, that weekend, we... uh, we really got to know each other uh, a lot. I got her, her number with my flip phone, and we started talking and went on some dates. And Jen made a tragic mistake early on in our relationship. And in order to get to know me better, she didn't come directly to me. She didn't let me speak for myself necessarily. She went to Facebook to get to know me. <laughs> now listen, in 2010, I'm just out of college. I'm a youth pastor at the time. And let's just say that my Facebook profile wasn't helping me in any regard in life at all, all right? And so uh, there are some things that she saw on Facebook, but the one thing I'm going to highlight is this, is, is in the description of like, you know, likes or whatever, somewhere along the lines that she was Facebook stalking me, she read that I, one of my hobbies was LARPing, live action role playing. And that was a joke that me and my other friends uh, you know, had. And, and there was a documentary we saw, and, and, uh, and um, you know, uh, one of what live-action role-playing is, if you, if you don't know it, is it's kind of like pretend war. It's basically, honestly, as I was thinking about this, if you've paintballed before, you've actually LARPed. Because, you, <laughs> you know, like that's what it is. It's pretend war. And instead of it being paintball, you know, you have foam swords, and you dress it like a knight, and then you go and you, like, wage war against other Dudes, right? And I've never LARPed a day in my life. Well, that's not true. I have paintball, so I have LARPed before. But with Jen's understanding of live action role, and if, and if, you, if you're here today and, and you've got more power to you, like, hey, I want to come with, like, that sounds like a lot of fun. Sign me up. All right, let's talk. Um, but at the time, Jen was a little concerned, and she's like, so somewhere in the course of our, our dating relationship, she just weaves in this question. She's like, hey, have you ever considered, did you, do you LARP? He's like, do you, are you a LARPer? And I was like, and I'm going, where did you come up with that idea? I've never, I've never LARPed a day in my life. She's like, it's on your Facebook. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) That's, you know, oh my gosh, right? And so what's interesting is that she had this false notion that actually guarded her heart from truly opening up her heart to get to know me. And until she let me speak for, well, I guess I was speaking for myself on Facebook, but that's besides the point. But once she asked me and and let me speak directly about what my heart was like, what my hobbies were like, what my interests were like, then she could make that assessment accurately that, um, okay, I can now respond accordingly. This is who he is. And this is our hope with our series is that all of us, whether we're, like, this is our first time in church and, and we're not Christians, we would consider ourselves maybe atheists, or, or whether we've been walking with the Lord a long time, we have preconceived notions about the heart of Jesus. We have preconceived notions about what God is like. And for some of us, God, by the Spirit and by His truth, it, it will take our entire lives for Him to continue to invite us out of these ungodly beliefs, these strongholds of, of believing that God is perpetually disappointed and disgusted with us that God doesn't actually uh, welcome and accept us, but he rejects us and, and, and keeps us at a distance, doesn't bring us close. And in our text today, we discover someone who undoubtedly had some, had some preconceived notions 
about how the Messiah would view them, that if they were ever face-to-face with the Son of God, the Messiah who, was, who would come from the line of David, from the people of God, the Israelites, and this coming king would be anointed by the Holy Spirit to bring liberty to God's people from their oppressors, and that he would forever and finally establish his righteous reign and rule over his people forever. That was the messianic hope that they were anticipating. And when this woman, you know, grew up learning about that and, 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 and anticipating that, she encounters herself face to face with the Son of God. And everything in her life, everything about her life would tell her that this man should at the very least just absolutely ignore her and at the very best condemn her and reject her. And we see the exact opposite of our Savior's heart for this Samaritan woman in our text. If there was anyone in first century Palestine that would have and maybe should have been bypassed and avoided and avoided by the Messiah, it would have been this woman. And yet in our text, what we see is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, doesn't avoid her but makes a beeline straight towards her, straight towards her. And the three points of my talk, and then we're going to pray and dive in is this, if you're taking notes. Jesus walked until he was weary, he waited until she was ready, and he welcomed her fully. Let's pray and we'll we'll dive on in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that you came for us. We thank you, Jesus, that you took on flesh and you walked our roads and you walked among us. And you entered our world so that we could enter into your world. We can never ascend up to you, so you descended down to us. You crossed every barrier that would have kept us from knowing you, God, and so we thank you for that. We're only only here because you moved first, because you love first, because you came for us. And everything in our life is us just responding to your pursuit of us in Christ Jesus. And so we respond with gratitude, we respond with humility that the king of the universe would come for us and rescue us from our sins and give us the hope of eternal life in his kingdom. So we say thank you, God. And now we posture our hearts and we say, God, open up the eyes of our hearts to see you rightly. Wherever, God, there are false, false notions and false beliefs about your heart towards us, I pray, Lord, that you would dismantle those by the power of your truth today and your word. And Holy Spirit, that you would draw us deeper to truly believe that it's all real, that you're wildly in love with us, that you truly love spending time with us. You sing songs of victory and delight over us. Would you etch that in stone in our hearts, God? We're not, we're not just here to, to do church well. We, we want to return to the heart of worship, God. I pray, God, I ask that you truly would would change our lives this morning, that you would minister to our hearts your healing, uh, Lord God, and your love. And that can only happen by your truth and by your Holy Spirit. So come, have your way. Jesus, would you be magnified and lifted high? And would I decrease and be entirely forgotten? And we pray this in your name, amen. 
All right, well, Jesus walked until he was weary. One of the first things that stuck out to me when I was preparing for this message was we see, we catch a glimpse of the humanity of the Son of God when it says in verse 6, Jesus wearied from his journey. And so where we see Jesus in our text is a wild place. Somehow the Son of God has ended up in Samaria, outside of this town called Sychar, uh, by Jacob's well. And the impression we get the impression we get with Jesus in our text is, is he's spent. He's wearied. It's, it's the middle of the day. It's the sixth hour, around, around 12 o'clock in the afternoon. He's sweaty. He's probably got B.O. His feet are dirty and calloused, and he's thirsty. And the beautiful picture we get is we have this impression that he's sitting and that he's waiting. He's waiting for someone. That's where we see our Savior. But it begs the question, Jesus, why wear yourself out, right? Why, are you, why is he weary? Why is he wearing himself out? Why the exhaustion? Well, in verse 6, the apostle John, writing this gospel, says this, that Jesus, verse 4, Jesus had to pass through Samaria. There was this unction. There was this uh, 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 even, even something deeper than obligation, he had to go to Samaria. But here's the, the truth of the matter, is Jesus didn't have to go to Samaria. That's the, the wild part about verse 4. Any other Jew at the time, leaving Judea and Jerusalem in the south and going to uh, Galilee in the north, wouldn't go into Samaria. Y'all go around Samaria, Right? Ain't nobody going, ain't no, ain't no Jewish person going, hey, I want to go to Galilee. Hey, we should go directly through hostile Samaria. That's where we should go. It would be like me saying, hey, uh, uh, we're going to take a trip to Baltimore. And, uh, you know, that's our final destination. I'm going to go from Alexandria, Virginia to Baltimore, Maryland for whatever reason. And I have to go to Anacostia, D.C. in order to get there. And all of you all are going, hey, you don't, hey, Nick, you don't, bro, you don't have to go to Anacostia. Right? My brother's a D.C. police officer, worked in Anacostia, and my brother's probably, like, shaking right now. Hey, no, 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 Nick, don't go. Don't go there. You don't have to go into D.C. You can go around it, right? And so what we see, what we learn is that Jesus on his journey to Galilee, he's leaving Judea, he's going to Galilee, it's not his Waze app that is redirecting him because there's traffic the other way and say, okay, you've got to cut through Samaria to get to Galilee. That's not what it is. It's not, it's not just duty. It's actually... Delight. Jesus had the foreknowledge, right? Jesus, anointed by the Spirit at, the bat, at his baptism, empowered by the Spirit to begin his earthly ministry, and, and the Father communicating to him directly what the Father wanted to do. In John 5, we see Jesus say, I don't do anything I don't see my Father doing. And so as you read commentary, scholars, this, this John 4, woman at the wall, this is not an accident at all. This is a divine setup. This is a divine appointment. This is the very reason Jesus began to take every weary step northbound into Samaria was because of the woman he was going to encounter. He didn't have to, but he wanted to. It was all about who he was going to meet, and that's why he walked until he was weary. And so the truth of the matter is this. You and I will wear ourselves out for what we care most about. You and I will wear ourselves out. We will walk until our sh the shoes fall off our feet for what we care most about. And what's wild is, is catching up with a lot of people over the holidays is how many of the Haven Church members traveled internationally over the holidays. Like Brazil, 
India, Europe, Taiwan, like people going places over the, I'm like, wow, okay. I stayed here and it was pretty awesome. Like I didn't, and if you've done international travel before, like one, that's expensive. Uh, long flights are exhausting. Um, if you're traveling with young kids and like, hey, like that's fun until somebody throws like a three hour tantrum on the flight and everyone's looking at you and you're like, hey, sorry, we're in this for the long haul. We got 20 hours ahead of us. Get used to it, all right? You should have bought yourself some noise canceling headphones on Amazon for the trip, all right? You know, like, like it's exhausting, but anyone you talk to, they're going to go see precious loved ones in those places. Brazil, India, Taiwan, Europe, like, like and so what they would say you know, we would look at, look at all the expenses and, and, and all the weariness and the, the, the lack of sleep with the time zone changes and all that stuff, and we'd say, that's not worth it. And they would say, you're crazy. That was worth all of it. Every penny spent, every step taken towards those loved ones, towards that destination was absolutely worth it. The delight in the destination far outweighed the weariness of the journey. And so for the first century Jewish reader, reading this text... They would look at this and say to Jesus, not worth it, Jesus. That was a waste of sweat for that woman. That was a waste of your strength for that woman. She's not worth it, Jesus. You wasted your time. It could have been spent far better. If you wanted to change Samaria, you could have gone to someone with the best reputation in Samaria, not the person with the worst reputation in Samaria, let alone going to Samaria itself. And let me tell you why, Jesus. One, this woman is a Samaritan. Jesus, she's not worth your time. They are half-bred heretics, right? And if you're unfamiliar with the hostility between Jews and the Samaritans at the time, it was a centuries-old hostility. It goes all the way back to uh, the 700s B.C. In 720-22 B.C., the Assyrian Empire conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. And what was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel? It was Samaria was the capital capital. And so after they were conquered, what the Assyrian Empire did is they exiled a vast majority of the citizens, the Israelites from Samaria, to Assyria. And then what did, what did they do? Is they backfilled Samaria, the capital of the northern king, kingdom, with a bunch of pagan Assyrians. And so over time, uh, God's people uh, who, who remained in Samaria, they began to intermarry with the pagan Assyrians. Okay, so boom, right there. Uh, uh, you know, the commands in the Old Covenant, hey, don't intermarry. Why? Because then this is what happened. Because through that intermarriage, you're going to adopt their worship, their idolatry, and that's what happened in Samaria, was, was they began to kind of blend. It was syncretism. They began, began to take from uh, uh, the, the, the gods, the Assyrians uh, worshiped, and then blend that into their worship of Yahweh. So it was this, this pollution of the purity of God's people and God's worship. That's how the Jews viewed them. Right, and so the hostility was was uh, it went both ways. So much so that you know we see in our passage, uh, Jesus tells uh, they're talking about where true worship is found, and uh, as they're talking, it's like, well, is it Jerusalem where the temple is, or is it Mount Gerizim where the Samaritans, because they weren't allowed to go to the temple to worship Yahweh, they're like, we're going to set up our own temple. And this is where Yahweh's presence is, and this is where God's true people are going to worship. And that was the debate. And Jesus is saying there's a time coming where, where worship won't be uh, restricted to your ethnicity or, or geography or whatever, but the time is now here where I am dismantling all those barriers that would keep anyone from drinking of the rivers of living water that I came to bring. And so Jesus is talking to a Samaritan, a sworn enemy of the Jewish people. 
He's sitting there. He's talking. He's listening. And then secondly, a first century reader would look at Jesus and say, she's not worth it because she is a she. She's a woman. Women were seen as lesser than and completely inferior to men. In uh, that culture, um, that idea was so manifest that it was actually culturally taboo for another man to speak to a woman in public because of how far beneath uh, uh, you she, that she was, to the extent that husbands sometimes wouldn't even talk or address their wives in public. And that's why in verse 27 of our text, the disciples, the disciples see the Messiah sitting talking to a Samaritan woman, and, they, and it says in verse 27, they marveled, not just that he was talking to a Samaritan, but that he was talking to a woman. So Jesus, what, is Jesus all right? What's he doing right now? You're not supposed to be doing this. We're not supposed to be in somebody. Now he's talking to a woman. He's going to get us all killed. What is he doing, right? This, well, he's, 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 he's passing these cultural barriers. And then the third one, the third one would be this. Not only was she a Samaritan, not only was she a woman, but she was, a, she was an immoral outcast. What we learn is that she had five marriages and five uh, times that she was divorced. And she was currently living with someone. She's currently living in sin, shacking up with someone that wasn't, her husband, and she was the outcast of Samaria. And we know that because it was the afternoon when she came to, to put that big bar over her shoulders and the water jugs that she came in the heat of the day to the well by herself when all the other uh, women in Sychar would go in the cool of the day in the morning to draw water. Nobody wanted to come close to this woman. She was the wretch of Samaria. Nobody wanted to come close to her except for the Son of God. Whenever anyone saw her, they went the other way. When Jesus saw her, he sat and he stayed and he listened. And so all the data points show that this woman was not worth Jesus, the Messiah's time. And the staggering truth is that what we see in our text is that she was worth every second of his time, that every weary northbound step to Sychar was worthy, was worth changing this woman's life. He crossed every Jesus Christ to get to this woman to spend eternity with this woman, to change this woman's life, to heal her brokenness, to save her soul. He crossed every single barrier that would have kept her from knowing him. And the truth of the matter is this, is that this Samaritan woman would have never found her way to Jesus. If Jesus stayed in Jerusalem and didn't come to Sychar, she would have never found him. Jesus didn't wait and say, man, she'll, hopefully she'll eventually, this Samaritan woman will come and enter my world and come to Jerusalem and hear my teaching and see the miracles and say yes to the invitation that the king of the world, the king of kings has come and that you can repent and receive this new kingdom that he has come to offer a forgiveness and salvation. She would have never come. And so instead of waiting for the Samaritan woman to come to him, Jesus went to her. And this is the beauty of the incarnation of Christ the King. This is where we see the heartbeat of God for the world. When we as ruined sinners could have never entered into the world of our Savior, he entered into our broken world so that we could enter into his. We could have never ascended to where he was. So Jesus in sacrificial, weary love descended to where we were. That's why we entitled this series, Love Walked Among Us. Love came for us because we could have never come to where love was. He left his throne, he descended, and he entered this weary journey of suffering and rejection and crucifixion 
all for the delight of the destination of spending eternity with us. This is what Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is before us. How do we run with endurance? We fix our eyes off of ourselves and we look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, the delight in the destination that was before him, he endured the cross, he despised the shame, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When Jesus looked at you and the cost that it would take to have you with him forever, he looked at the the pain of the crucifixion, the humiliation, the rejection, every slap of the face, every uh, thorn in, in his scalp, every crack of the whip on his back, every nail in his wrist, all the, the undiluted and pure wrath of God for our sins upon him. And he said, if that is the journey, if that is the road that I have to take to get to your heart, sign me up, I'm in. That's the love of our Savior. That's bonkers, Transit family. That's wild. Who has loved you the way our king has loved you? Who has come for you the way he has come for you? Every weary step of the suffering servant, the cross on his back marching to that hill to rescue us from our sins. And he said that was for the joy, the joy of this moment. Maybe, maybe in his foreknowledge it was a moment like this. Today, the redeemed of God gathering together, fellowshipping, giving him glory, pouring out our praise to him, reminding ourselves and our hearts of his love for us. Look at the depths of his descent so that we could ascend up to him. That's our God. That's our king. It's not about good works and God sitting back and saying, ascend to me with your good works. Yeah, 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 you figure it out. You figure your mess out and come to me and ascend to where I'm at. No, no, no. The Lord in his grace says, man, there's, there's absolutely no chance you could ever cross that barrier, so let me cross it for you. That's the hope of the gospel. Jesus comes down to where we are. He walks our streets. He takes on our sin. He takes on our suffering. He takes on our brokenness, and then he just simply invites us, and he says, come and follow me through the cross and through the empty grave to my throne. That's the invitation. He's done it for us, and he did it. Why did he do it? Why did he do it? Because here's a wild thought. Because God so loved the world, because he's a great God of love, Romans 5, 8, for a while we were still sinners, God came and died for us. And G.K. Chesterton has a great book called Orthodoxy. And in it, he talks about the paradox of, of Christian beliefs. And he says, as a Christian, you believe that you are the chief of sinners and yet also the crown jewel of the Lord's creation, right? That, that paradox of this Samaritan woman who everyone, when they make a value judgment, when they view her and they make a value assessment, says she's not worth it, Jesus looks at her and says she's absolutely worth it. Not just the weary journey to save this woman from, Gal- from Judea to Samaria, but, but to the cross, to the cross where I would take her sins and her mess upon my shoulders and give her cleansing and a new start and healing. That's the heart of Jesus. When we can never ascend to him, he came for us. He crossed every barrier that would have kept this woman from him. The only reason this woman uh, drank of the rivers of living water is because Jesus left Jerusalem and came to her and risked his safety going to Samaria, risked his reputation talking to a Samaritan woman, talking to a woman at all. And he goes, I don't care about that. I, if nobody else wants to be seen with her, sign me up. I'll be seen with her. 
because I want her with me. The second thing we see is Jesus waited until she was ready. Jesus, the Son of God, had three years. Three years. When he began his public ministry, he had three years. That's as long as I've been the lead pastor of this church. That's bonkers. From January 2021 to where we are now, that's three years. That's roughly uh, the time of Jesus' earthly ministry. That's a short period of time. If you're like me in Northern Virginia, I was just talking with someone uh, in the armed forces. I was like, hey, you've been here three times. You've traveled a lot. What's your, what's your take on Northern Virginia living here? And the one word that they used to describe it was busy. Yeah. It's busy, right? I met up with someone uh, this week, a community group leader, just catching up and, and all that stuff. And near the end of the conversation, we both were apologizing to each other for keeping each other so long. Because we're like, surely you have better things to do than be hanging out. You know, like it was like, hey, okay, uh, we have a shot clock. Every, excuse, every conversation in Northern Virginia has a shot clock, right? If you're on 495, you're not commuting, you're qualifying, right? You're racing, you know. <laughs> that's what Northern Virginia is, right? And, uh, and yet we don't see any sense of Jesus being hurried in this conversation. Any sense of Jesus being like, all right, hey, like, you're not really worth the conversation. I just want to get another notch in my belt of salvation. Do you want the waters or not? Hurry up and drink. Here it is. Do you want it? Here it is. I'm Messiah. I can prove it to you. Do you want it? No, no, no. That's not love, right? What's staggering, and we have to slow down, and we have to stop playing Christianese with the, with the Bible and wrestle and ask questions. And what we see in this text, is that is the, 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 the gift of prophecy that Jesus is using is not, is not just to verify that he's the Messiah. It is that, and we see that. But why would Jesus want to show her that he's the Messiah? So that she drinks of the rivers of living water. That's why. And so in this conversation, what we see is that the conversation itself is healing this woman, is necessary to heal this woman, that, this, that Jesus knows the full scope of the betrayal this woman has experienced from other men. Maybe the physical beating this woman has experienced from other men. The abandonment, the scorn, the verbal abuse, the rejection, and so what does the Son of God do? He sits, and he talks, and he listens, and he looks, and he's genuinely interested in her life. And the reason he's revealing all this, I don't know if, if you read this text and you're studying it, and Jesus out of nowhere just starts digging up your past, and you're like, whoa, Jesus, we're talking about rivers of living water, and this is pretty cool. And now you're saying, hey, you have five husbands. Oh, that's, whoa, whoa. Like, in my family, we, we bust out the W for like a moment like that. You know, a kid disrespects me. I'm like, whoa, hey, back it up, right? Or you just did something really cool. I go, whoa, throw out a W. You can just dish out a W, right? Boom, whoa. When I was reading, I was like, whoa, Jesus, what are you doing digging up her past? What are you doing bringing back to all, all of those memories? It's part of the healing process. What Jesus is saying to her, listen, I knew all of that before I left Judea. I knew all that before I left my throne to take on flesh. That knowledge, that full knowledge of your sin didn't keep me from you. It's what drove me to march towards you. 
He waited until she was ready. We got some healing work to do. We're going to have this conversation. I'm going to reveal to you that I'm the Messiah, and I'm going to reveal to you that I know everything, and I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to reveal to you that, that because the whole time that Jesus is talking, and this conversation is way longer than what we have in John 4. These, this is the highlight reel. This conversation will try way longer than what we see in John 4. The whole time, Jesus is there. And he starts out, he says, would you give me, would you give me something to drink? And she goes, what are you doing? You're a Jewish man. If, I, if you simply touch what a Samaritan has touched, if I, if I draw water to you and I hand this to you, you're signing up to be ceremonially unclean. What are you doing? I can't, you want me to give you water? Me? Serve you? What planet are you living on? Right? And what's beautiful about when Jesus encounters the sinner and when they touch Jesus, the clean doesn't become unclean. Jesus doesn't change. The unclean becomes clean. He takes on their uncleanliness. The leper, when Jesus, when they touch Jesus, Jesus doesn't become a leper. The leper loses their disease and they take on his healing. And the whole time this conversation is happening, this is the first time in decades this woman has had a man genuinely interested, not using her, not marginalizing her, not disgusted with her. And imagine the, the, the eyes, the look. This guy's genuinely interested. There's something in his eyes, the peace, the love, the joy. Oh, but you know what? She's probably thinking this. It's all a house of cards. Once he finds out who he's talking to, it's over. Once he finds out who I am, this whole thing is done. He's, he's leaving. He's leaving like all the other ones did. And the beauty of Jesus revealing her past supernaturally is, hey, sweetheart, I already know. And I'm staying, and I'm not going anywhere. And by the way, you're spending eternity with me. And that's why I came. That knowledge of that didn't keep me from you. And often in our Christian life, uh, we believe we're partially loved by God. And we're not fully known and fully loved that if God truly knew how bad it was, the roads we walked down, the things that we've done, there's just no way. There's no way he would welcome us into his kingdom. Or, or, if, or if, we, if we, and I'll, I'll segue, uh, Ben, you can come on up. We're running out of time, so I'm gonna segue into my third point, that Jesus welcomed her fully into his kingdom. Is... One of the false notions we have about the heart of Christ is you can belong in the kingdom for so long, but shame keeps you, keeps you in the foyer of God's house, keeps you uh, on the outskirts uh, of not even coming to the table. And what we see with this woman is, hey, you're fully known and fully invited into my kingdom. You're fully known and fully invited to drink of the rivers of living water that I came to give you. And I grew up, uh, my mom's side of the family, my dad's side of the family was Ukrainian. And uh, my grandmother was from Kiev. And every Thanksgiving, if you, <laughs> she was your, kind of your uh, stereotypical Eastern European uh, woman. She cooked a feast every holiday. And Thanksgiving, she would toil and she would labor 
to provide these, these beautiful Ukrainian dishes and then some American traditional, like I still, every Thanksgiving, I still miss her stuffing. She went to be with the Lord in 2020. Like she made the best stuffing better than your grandmother makes. It was the best stuffing ever. And the, 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 the table of all the food would be as long as the stage. And imagine the insanity of me not wanting to impose when my grandmother worked so hard to prepare this feast. And I said, hey, Grandma, I'm going I'm to stay in the basement. I'm not going to come and, and feast. I thank you so much for the invite, but I don't want to impose on your time. Imagine the insanity of saying, well, I want to, I want to show the host that I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not going to be rude to her, so I'm going to actually come not hungry. I'm going to eat before I come. I'm not going to come with with hunger. My grandmother would slap me in the face if she knew that that, you know, like she'd be like, what are you doing? You know how hard I work? Like when you came to, to Ava's feast, it was, I mean, you had to get ready for her to hand you about five plates of food, right? Are you done? You want more? You want more? You want more? You want more? And how, the reason I share that is this, is how often do we play this silly game uh, with God where we, we come and, and we try to, to prepare ourselves, right? Uh, we relegate ourselves to, to the foyer, and we, and we feel like we don't fully belong at the table. When Jesus said, come and feast. I've invited you to the table. Why are, is your heart still closed to me? You have this false notion about what I'm like, this false notion about, about uh, 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 who I'm seeking to worship me. Jesus says this in our text. He says in verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and the hour is now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Watch this. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The entire reason Jesus is in Samaria is because the Father said, I want that woman to come and worship me. I want that woman to come and know me. I want that woman to come and love me. Yes, that one. That one with the worst reputation in Sychar. That's the one I want to come and feast with me. She wasn't partially invited. She, yes, she was fully invited to drink. And in John 7, you know, Jesus talks about these rivers of living water. And I, and I will wrap up with this and we'll take communion. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit of God who gives life. And when we trust and we believe and we put our lives in the hands of Jesus that he is the son of God. He came to rescue us from our sins at that moment. And we give our life to him saying, God, I want to receive this gift Jesus talks about. He says, if you knew the gift that was presented before you, I want to receive that gift of salvation. At that moment, the Holy Spirit fills us. Those rivers of living water take residence in our life. And that spring flows up into eternity of love and joy and peace of God. And this is what Jesus says later in the Gospel of John, in John 7, 37 through 39. He's at this great feast, and this is the invitation of Jesus, and this is the invitation to all of us who are thirsty today. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. For whoever, 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 doesn't matter if you're a Samaritan, doesn't matter what gender, doesn't matter what's in your rearview mirror, whoever believes in me. It's not about, you know, oh, oh, if he only finds out who I am. No, no, no. If you only knew who the Messiah was, get the focus off of that. Get your focus on the heart of Jesus. If you knew the man that was standing before you, you would ask and he would freely give. 
and he would give. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And this he said about the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. And so I had this thought, and I will wrap up with this. If I had a pitcher full of rivers of living water today, and I said, come if you want some, and you came to me with a full cup, you couldn't get it. The only way that you and I receive the rivers of living water is under the precondition that Jesus says, how do we get qualified? Is if we come thirsty. If we come to him and we empty our cups and we say, Lord, I am emptying myself of everywhere else I'm going for thirst, I want what you have to offer. I'm coming to you with an empty cup to be filled. We don't, I don't have to come and, and try to show off. I don't have to come and try to fill my cup before uh, I approach the Lord. Jesus says simply this, whoever believes in me, if you're thirsty and you're hungry for rivers of living water that only Jesus can bring, only knowing God can bring, then come to me with your thirst and I will satisfy you. And so that's the invitation before we take communion. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus uh, and uh, in good standing with your church, we invite you to celebrate the Lord's Supper with us uh, today. And this is the invitation of our King. This is the goodness of our God. This is us uh, collectively remembering the atoning work of our Savior. And this is us coming to the feast. This is us coming to the table that Jesus has uh, uh, fully paid for. He provides the, the wine. He provides the bread. And he invites the likes of us. And he says, come and partake. Come and feast. And so let me pray. And then uh, we'll sing one last song as we take communion. So Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your heart, God. Who is like you, O oh God? Lord, while we were still sinners running from you, you came running for us. You made that descent. You took that weary journey to the cross. For some of us, you've crossed so many barriers to get to us. It is only a divine miracle that some of us are walking with you and standing here today, God, because of your pursuit of us. And so we celebrate your love today with communion. You... You, Jesus, are the gift of God the Father to us. If we only knew the gift that was before us. The gift. A gift is something already paid for. A gift is something that someone else has already purchased and provided and is offering for us to receive. you provided it all for us and so we open up our hands and we open up our hearts and we say thank you for your love that chased us down thank you Jesus that you for some reason unbeknownst to us you deemed us worthy of the weary journey from your throne to the cross so we bless your name we receive we say thank you for the depths of your love and would you open up the eyes of our heart to truly know the height and the depth and the lengths of your love for us in Christ Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you that you came for us, that you've walked among us, and that by your spirit, you're still walking with us. You haven't given up on us. You're so patient with us. Thank you, God. It's all true. It's all real. Haven family, he really loves you. Haven family, he really wants to hear your prayers. He really wants to hear what's on your heart in this precious moment as you take communion. So pour out your heart to him. 
Give him all your fears. Give him all your concerns. Give him all your sin. Where else can you go with those things? Where else can you take your regret? Where else can you take your shame? Where else can you take your fears? Where else can you take your sorrows? Except to our precious Savior, whose invitation is, come to me, all you who are heavy laden and weary, and I will give you rest. Let's say yes to that invitation as we fellowship with him.